Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. I'm really excited to, uh, to be with you this morning because I have heard that, uh, like we're not supposed to be competitive, but I've heard that Mulleton is better than the, the, the other Life Changes. And so uh, I've been looking forward to this moment. So you're going to get my best. Table view are going to get the warm up and the warm down. And uh, you got the best this morning. So I'm really, really looking forward to it. Uh, it is a great delight to be here. And uh, this, is, this is a home away for, from home for us. Uh, just with my friendship with Mark and Cairns, with Gabe and Fee, uh, it really is just a great, great delight to be with you. So thank you for receiving us all weekend. Uh, my wife over Friday and Saturday with the Arise Ladies Conference, absolutely brilliant time for me this morning. Just want to say thank you. I want to get straight into it. So here's a question I have for you. Do you feel that you are living life in the fullness of what God intended for you? Thank you for your honesty. I think you've probably voiced the same answer for everyone in this room. You see, Jesus, the scriptures say, uh, came that we may have life and have life to the full or have it in abundance, depending on what version of the Bible or translation you use. So he's come that we may have life to the full or have life in abundance. And now I'm very thankful that there are parts of my life that I feel very full and abundant. I've got seven kids. Life is full. There are also areas of my life that I know if this is it, I'm kind of like, hey, God, I don't know that this is what abundant life looks like. And so I know that there are areas of my life that I'm still trusting by the power of the Spirit of God I can walk into more and more. And so really what today is about is about helping us take a step, a greater step into what fullness of life can look like. Is that all right? In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says this. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. Now that second half, that sounds like life in abundance or life to the full. I will bless you. I'm up for that. I will make you famous. Okay, that might appeal to my dark nature. And uh, I will be a blessing to others. That, that sounds appealing. But we forget that to get there, there's a little part before which says leave. Another way of saying that is arise and go. Arise and go. We've just had a ladies' conference, or you've just had a ladies' conference called Arise. Arise and go. Leave your relatives. Leave your native country. This message is designed for those people that feel stuck or trapped and are unable to walk into the fullness of God because you just don't know how to, but you desire to. That's many of us in the room. It's also for those of you that have become stuck because you're comfortable with life as it is. And so I want to speak to both of you today because I believe the scriptures will talk into this. I want you to hear what God has to say, not what I have to say. And so we're going to be reading some scriptures to try and help us take steps forward. Are you okay to go on that journey? One of the things that we have to understand is what age do we live in? 
in the Christian kind of calendar, in the God-following calendar. So we have Good Friday, right? That's the day that Jesus died. That's the day that the penalty for our sin, our brokenness, our rebellion against God was paid. Then there was what's called Resurrection Sunday. That's when God affirmed what Jesus had done and raised him from death to life, which gives us newness of life. So we are forgiven, the penalty is paid, and there's newness of life. Forty days after that, Jesus goes to be with the Father, which means that the Father is saying, okay, Jesus, your work on earth is done. The work of salvation is done, but your work's not finished. Come up with me. And the scriptures say, and he lives to intercede for us. See, he, Jesus is praying for you and me. So actually, so much of our faith, we, we think that we've got faith in ourselves, like my faith in Christ. No, 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 it's the faith of Christ. It's his prayer that's speaking creative words over us at present. But then 10 days after that, or 50 days after Jesus was raised from the dead, is this day called Pentecost. And Pentecost was the day that the Spirit of God, and may I remind us that it was the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that raised Jesus from death to life. That Spirit was poured out on all mankind. Then there is a day that Jesus is going to come, again, where he's going to wrap up the heavens and the earth. Why do I tell us that whole little good theological lesson? Because sometimes we forget that we live in an age where the Spirit of God has been given to us in order that we may live a life in the fullness of what God has for us. He raised Jesus from the dead. That means we are still breathing anything this side of death. God is able to reorder through the power of the Spirit of God. But sometimes we act as though Jesus hasn't even died yet. We walk around in guilt and shame thinking that, oh, am I forgiven? That's happened. We walk around uh, as though the Spirit of, that Jesus is still on the earth and the Spirit of God hasn't come and we're looking for Jesus and we're looking for Jesus and I can't touch him because he's in another land. Jesus said, it's better that I may go, that another may come. Because now I don't have to actually physically go to Israel or the regions where Jesus was walking around because the Spirit of God is present with me. And so we're going to look at a few things that will help us get over the line in terms of taking a step forward into the fullness of God. But it's going to, it's going to require us arising and going. It's going to require us leaving some of our earthly ancestors behind. It's going to require us leaving some native land behind. It's going to involve breaking camp which I believe is some words that you have been using. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says this, as I kind of enter into the thrust of my message. Now these things happen to them, as an example, them is Israel, right? So this is the people that are before Jesus. So they can still walk around in shame and in guilt because they don't know if they've been forgiven because they might not have slaughtered any lamb yet. Uh, if you don't understand that, Gabe can explain it to you. But these things happen to them as an example. We don't have to worry about what that was, but they were written down for our instruction. See, sometimes we come to the Scriptures and we think, oh, it's just a history story about what happened. It can't be true for me. And here, Paul, the writer to the Corinthian church, goes out of his way to say, yes, these things happen and we keep record of them, but they're for you. They're for you. Can you all agree? That's what that says. It's for you. I'm setting you up because you're going to have to turn your head on some of these things. 
It says, let, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Have you ever found yourself in a position where you're going through a bit of a test or a trial or whatever it may be, and you're trying to explain it to someone, and you go, yeah, you just can't understand. I, I, I know you've gone through some stuff, but, but my stuff, my stuff's bigger than your stuff. Yeah, you've said that? Okay, this is a very honest congregation. <laughs> I like that. So here's the deal. The scriptures say, you have not suffered any temptation that is not common to man. So here, here's the deal. Either the scriptures are lying, or you're believing a lie. Me personally, I think the scriptures tell the truth. Which means I've got to reorganize my mind and kind of go, hold on, hold on. I'm told that no temptation, I, I don't face anything that's not common to all humanity. And the Spirit of God has come to empower us to walk into the fullness of life. It gets even better. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, uh, I, I'm going to speak, some of the men may recognize this, some of you ladies, uh, you may never have heard this, uh, and it will be good for you if you have boys as kids as they grow up. So as I got to an age where uh, I started to have an interest in ladies, young women, um, Sometimes, I live in Durban, the weather's a whole lot better than Cape Town, and so women don't wear as much clothes in Durban, and, uh, and as a young man, you start to notice things, and sometimes you can find your eyes wondering, and my dad would teach me, Richard, bounce, and I said, Dad, what does that mean? He says, bounce your eyes, bounce your eyes. Look in the young lady's eyes. Look in the young lady's eyes. Yes, Dad. Yes, Dad. And I will start to teach my boys that as they get to an age. And I know that you'll remember that example. But the Scriptures say, God provides a way of escape. Sometimes we just embrace whatever happens to us. And we say, it's just my humanness. It's just who I am. But God says, no, 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 bounce, bounce your eyes, bounce your eyes, there's a way out. Bounce your eyes, train your eyes to look for the way of escape. Bounce your eyes, bounce your eyes, bounce your eyes. And so many of us aren't living in the fullness of life because what we're doing is our eyes are focused on the problem, focused on the temptation, focused on the thing we shouldn't be focusing. And God's saying, bounce your eyes, Richard, for goodness sake, bounce your eyes, bounce, get out, there's a way of escape, look for it, look for it, and you'll be set free. I love the way St. Augustine, he, he was an early church father, and, uh, and he had the four stages of man. And he said this, Adam and Eve, man was created perfect with the ability to sin. Then Adam and Eve chose rebellion against God, and then in the fall, what happened before Jesus was man was unable not to sin. Then there was the Jesus action that took place, and we live post that. And it says, because of the work of Jesus and now the Spirit of God, man is able not to sin. 
then there will come a day when we will be glorified in heaven, man will be unable to sin. But we live in an age where we are able not to sin. I think some of us still place ourselves before the work of Jesus, and so we forget which age we're living in. We forget that the Spirit of God has been poured out. We forget that we live forgiven. We forget that God has accepted the work of Jesus Christ. We forget all of that, and we live in an age where we think it's impossible for us not to sin. But we live post-Jesus in an age of the Spirit of God. It is possible for us not to, it is possible for us not to sin. But we've got to train ourselves to bounce. 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 Bounce your eyes. I want to help us take this. I've got three things that I want to say to us today, which might just help us understand and walk more into the fullness of God. And so, first thing we're going to look at is just passing the test. Passing the test. And what I mean by that is this. We know that the enemy comes to test us. The enemy, Satan, uh, the deceiver, whatever you want to call him. We know that the enemy wants to come and test us. Sometimes what we don't embrace is that God wants to test us too. And what gets even worse is, because we are ignorant sometimes, we, we don't know who's testing us. And then what ends up happening is we end up embracing the test of Satan, and we end up rejecting the test of God, and we end up stuck in a land that's not the fullness of Christ. And God says, arise and go to a land I will show you, and there there will be blessing. There there will be abundance. There there will be fame. There there will be blessing to others. But we have to embrace the test of God and reject the test of Satan, because the Scriptures say, flee the enemy. Embrace God. So there, is, there are two words used uh, in, in the original language, and uh, one of the purposes I've come for you is to, to try and help you understand the Scriptures, because not all of us can give ourselves to, uh, to knowing the original language and all of that, and this is not some kind of uh, Greek lesson here, but there's a word that's translated test in English that is given to God. When God tests us, it's a particular word. Then there's a word that's translated test, which is no difference to us in English, but in Greek, it's given to Satan, and it's a different word to when God tests us. And I want to just explain to us that we can understand how to embrace and flee and what we need to embrace and flee. So when the word is translated test, but that word is, is, is applied to God, it's like this. This is what it means. I am a teacher, and I give you a test. My, I design that test in order for you to pass. Because I have given the last 12 months, if you're a teacher at school, I've given the last 12 months to teaching you. My desire is not that you fail. My desire is that you will show me that you've been able to learn and you can go from grade 3 to grade 4. And you can go from grade 9 to grade 10. See, God's desire when He gives you tests is that you can move on into the fullness of God, that you can move on into the fullness of life one step at a time. When we don't embrace that test or when we fail that test, we have to repeat the grade. What the enemy, the word used for when Satan tests us, is like a high jump adjudicator, where they keep raising the bar until they find a level that you fail. They're looking for the point at which you fail. And so the enemy comes, and when he's testing you, he's always looking for that moment. Ah, ah, Richard, your gaze, you held it for a little bit long there. I got you. I found the point at which you cannot pass. 
So the enemy is looking for you to fail. Jesus is looking for you to pass. And I want to just use two scriptures that will help us understand it so that we can take a step forward. Uh, I'm not going to put them up to the, sc the screen. I'm just going to uh, speak them to you. So when Jesus, the scriptures say, comes to test us, it's like a farmer coming with a winnowing fork. And that's just like a big, it's a big fork. I think it's a farming thing, and it's got three or four prongs on it. And it goes into this clump of wheat, and he throws it up into the air. And it says, and what happens is the chaff, which is the rubbish, it's the dust, it's the, the, the leaves, it's the, it's the stuff that's not useful. The wind comes, and because it's lighter than the wheat, it blows off. And then the wheat falls to the ground, and then it gets thrown up again, and then it gets thrown up again. And progressively what happens is the wheat becomes purer and purer. This is what Jesus does. What the enemy does is this. He says, Jesus says to Peter, 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 Satan has come and asked me if, I, if he can sift you like wheat. What a sieve does is it allows all the good stuff to go through and it leaves all the bad stuff behind. And so if you want to understand the difference between or to recognize a test from the enemy or a test from Jesus, what gets left behind? What is the focal point? You see, if wheat, had, if wheat had emotions and feelings, it would kind of go, I can picture it like this. The fork goes in. Ah! Gets thrown in the air. Whoa! Land on the ground. Ah! Not pleasant. And so what ends to happen is because we don't recognize what God is doing, we reject that. We say, I don't, how can that be of God? How can that be of God? I'm sore, I'm loose, I'm in the air, I don't know what's going on. But all he's doing is he's allowing the DNA of God to remain as all the other stuff is getting blown away. What the enemy does is he sifts us and the rubbish remains. And so what's the attention of the test? If the test is, hey, the DNA of God, kindness. Stu, that wasn't kind. Kindness comes out. It's like, no, no, okay, Jesus is pointing this out because the DNA of God is being highlighted here. Oh, shame. Remember five years ago you did that. Remember, oh, no, no, now you're being sifted by the enemy. Friends, I want to I help us understand that for us to walk into the fullness of God, we, we have to be able to take a step and embrace the test of Jesus and pass the test and flee from the tests of the enemy who's who the test has been designed to make us fail. Understand it is an important part. Some of us are not walking into the fullness of life because we're rejecting the tests of God and we desire more. <coughs> we're desiring, God, why aren't you giving me this? Why aren't you giving me platform? Why aren't you giving me blessing? Why am I not able to be a blessing to others? Why, why, why? It's like, because you're still walking around the same mountain. You haven't set the test and passed it yet. You keep running away. You keep bunking from the exam. Many of us need to renew our thinking around this because what we end up doing is either we reject the test of God or we put ourselves in the position of teacher and we test God. And we say, God, if you give me this, I will follow you. If you give me this, I will believe you. If you give me this, I will have faith in you. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The student can't be the teacher. The student can be like the teacher. You can grow in wisdom to be like the teacher, but you can never become the teacher. And so where do you sit here today? Jesus is saying, by the Spirit of God, arise and go. Leave the land. Leave that thinking. Leave it. And go to a land that I will show you because there's great blessing there. Second thing we need to understand 
is this, that uh, polluted humanity, we have to understand our own role in this place. You see, because sometimes what we do is we end up, we end up kind of just saying, I'm, I'm a neutral party in all of this, and God and Satan are having this war over us. And you kind of, as, as Satan comes and he, he tries to do things, and we just go, ah, oh, I, I can't do anything. No, no, we have to understand that we are a polluted humanity. We, we have our own brokenness. I want to tell you this, and hopefully it will set some of you free today. The enemy cannot cause you to sin. He cannot cause you to sin, and I'm going to tell you why. Because the enemy is not a creator. Only Jesus is creator. All the enemy can do is sit on your own desires. And as he recognizes your desire, he pounces on that and he starts to pull it forward. And the scriptures teach us this in James chapter 1, 13 to 15. And I'm going to pick it up in the second sentence. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Friends, I want to tell us this. We have our own earthly desires. And I'm going to try and help us identify those as hopefully the, the whole Jesus, Satan, the way he tests us thing was helpful. I trust that I will identify some things that can be helpful for us to walk forward in. But I want to tell you what happens when our desires, when our earthly desires, our broken desires come to the fore and we don't recognize them for what they're for. And then we start to live in them. And if I can go back to the original analogy, if, if I hold my eyes for just a little bit long and I don't bounce, the next time it's easier to hold my eyes for a little bit long and then I don't, it doesn't bounce. And then it becomes easier and easier and longer and longer. I, I canoe uh, quite a bit. If I, if I say canoeing, kayaking, paddling, does that mean everyone understand on water it's kind of like got a, a shaft and two pedals two blades on the end um, I need us to understand that otherwise this is going to fall flat but when I started paddling 22 years ago what happens is my hands weren't designed for that and so I start paddling and the the shaft starts rubbing on my hands and it starts ripping up particularly at the base here of my fingers and uh, and my palm and it starts ripping it open and that is painful. And I had the privilege, I started learning how to paddle here in Cape Town, and then I would go out into the ocean in the summer, and then salt gets in there. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, I, I appreciate that sympathy. And it gets sore. And then next time I go paddle, and I touch, I touch the paddle, it's like, ah. And then next time it's, ah. And then next time it's, okay, that's not too bad as hard skin starts to form and eventually it becomes calloused and I can't feel anything. So in the example of paddling, that's great news. In the example of giving into our desires, it's bad news. And the first time we give into something, we wake up in the morning and we go, oh God, I'm so sorry. And the next time we wake up and we go, God, I'm sorry. And the next time we wake up and we go, yeah, and the next time we wake up and we carry on with our day as though nothing had happened. But this is probably the bigger problem with giving in to our desires and not recognizing them for what they are. As I got calluses on my hands, I came to be intimate with my wife and I couldn't feel her because I had lost all feeling in my hands. And what ends to happen is we cry out as we give in to our temptations, we give in to desires, 
And then we say, Jesus, you've neglected us. Jesus, you've gone. No, I'm still being intimate with you. You just can't feel me. Friends, we cannot give in to the desires of our hearts. We have to recognize them for what they are, and then we need to recognize that the enemy is trying to jump on them. But Jesus is trying to allow us to recognize them so that the Spirit of God, because we live in an age of the Spirit of God who can empower us onto greater things. John chapter, 1 John chapter 2 helps us identify. How do we identify what this is? How do I know what the desires are? Bible is so helpful in teaching us this. 1 John chapter 2. It says this, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So what is it talking about? It's talking about the lust of the flesh. It's talking about the lust of the eyes. It's talking about pride. From the very beginning, what was the thing that Satan jumped on Eve for? He said, the fruit, oh, it looks good. Oh, it's going to be good for me. Oh, it's going to give me wisdom. I'm going to be like God. And what is Eve's response? Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. So what did she do? When she saw the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, when she saw that it was delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, pride, she took it. But here's the beauty. Before Jesus, that's where Israel lived. That's where the people of God lived. We live post-Jesus. What did Jesus do? He fasts for 40 days, so he's hungry. The enemy comes. Oh, I'm going to try the same trick because there's only three areas. There's only three areas that all desire comes from. And he says to Jesus, hey, listen, you can turn these stones into bread. Lust of the flesh. What does Jesus do? No, 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 no. Man doesn't live on bread alone. Then Satan goes, okay, I'll go for the ice. Takes him up onto a mountaintop and says, all of these kingdoms that you see, I will give to you. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Then he goes, okay, I've got you on a third one. Now that we're on a mountain, why don't you throw yourself down? If you are the son of God, you can command the angels to come and rescue you. Appeals to his pride. If you are the son of God. And Jesus says, I don't need to do that. And so Jesus is able to overcome on the three areas that Eve was unable to overcome. And so we have a reversal take place as he puts right and he shows that humans are able to overcome. There's actually a design in the fabric of human life that is designed to overcome. If we can recognize who's testing, we can recognize where it's coming from, we can recognize our own earthly desires, we can put everything into place, and then we know how we can go forward. Here's the deal. Genesis chapter 12, arise and go and leave your relatives. Who are you looking at? Are you looking at Eve as your mother or are you looking at Jesus as your brother? Which relative are you taking hold of for your future? If we keep saying, it's just, I'm human, I'm human. No, we live in an age where we are able not to sin. We live in our human state in the image of God where we have a design that uh, we are able not to sin. 
It is better that he should go that another may come, the Spirit of God, to empower you to live this life in all its fullness. Jesus, I want, uh, Richard, I want to live in the fullness of life. Okay, well, are you giving yourself to the Spirit of God? Are you following Jesus? Or are you following Eve? I want more money. I'm going to chase that job. Okay, well, then actually you're just parking off with your relatives. We start to chase the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. We've got to recognize where these things are coming from. I want to end on, uh, well, this is my last point. Just that we've been designed to overcome. We've been designed to overcome. I love Revelation chapter 2, 26 to 27. It says this. The one who conquers and who keeps my works till the end, to him I will give authority over the nation. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. Now, I don't know if you know your Bibles or not, but Genesis chapter 2 says this. God creates humanity and he says, this is very good. And he says, to you, I give authority to rule. So God's creative genius, his creative design in each of us is that we will rule and have authority over creation. That's his design. What Revelation tells us, Revelation is the last book of the Bible. Maybe you're unfamiliar with all these scriptures that I'm reading. It's a collection of writings that point to Jesus that we as followers of Christ use called the Bible. And Revelation is the very end, and he's speaking of it. He's saying, okay, that was my original design. What happened is you gave in to your own earthly desires. The enemy jumped in on that. You gave in to all of that. You haven't overcome. Jesus came. He's shown you a way to overcome. I've given you my spirit so you're able not to sin. To those who able to make it to the end, I'm going to give you authority to rule again. But he hasn't excluded any of you, because in the very DNA and makeup of humanity is this ability to overcome, and the desire of God is that we would rule and have authority over creation. And so when the new heavens and the new earth are made, that is our role for those that overcome. Now, I do not believe that God is one who would give us a promise, but then withhold the ability to fulfill that. And so there is something between our design in the image of God and the empowering of the Spirit of God that when that comes into mix, we are able to live a life in the fullness of what God intended for us to live. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us this. In verse 14 to 16, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with all our weaknesses. Quit saying, you don't understand my situation. Jesus does. Jesus does. He is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride. He gets, he gets tempted. He was tempted exactly the same way. Who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was not acting as God. Jesus was God-man. But he was on this earth as human, to show us what union with God looks like. 
And so we can walk, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help him, to help, find grace to help in time of need. Friends, we can draw near. We can draw near to God. We sit here. One lady had the boldness to shout out, no, my life is not living like the fullness of God. But she spoke on all of our behalves. And God would say, you can have blessing. You can, have, you can be a blessing to others. You can have fullness of life. But it means arise and go and leave your native land. Leave your relatives. Go to a land that I will show you. Would you submit? I, we don't even know where that land is, which means we have to willingly submit ourselves to a good God who will lead us there. If we want to control it, we're not going to land there, friends. We have to give ourselves. And then we have to let go of Eve. And we have to take hold of Jesus. Everything Eve couldn't do, Jesus could do. And as we follow him, empowered by the Spirit of God, we can live a life free, we can live a life empowered, we can live a life full. That's the life I want to live. It's the life I want you to live. Would you stand with me? Friends, if we want to walk in this is not the totality of it. It's just some of it to help us take another step forward. We've got to pass the right test. Pass the right test. Accept the test from Jesus. Accept the winnowing fork. Flee the test of the enemy that comes to focus on all that's wrong. Pass the right test. The second thing that we have to do is we have to recognize our polluted humanity. It's not Satan who's causing you to sin. It's our own broken desires. Satan then just jumps on that. That's all he does is he jumps on it and takes it further if we do not train ourselves to bounce our eyes. And the third thing is we are designed to overcome because the Spirit of God rests in us. We've been created to rule from the beginning of time all of creation. Therefore, we can overcome. And to those that overcome, rulership is given back. I want to ask you here, maybe you are here this morning and you say, actually, Rich, I desire to live life to the full. It starts, it cannot be done unless we turn our gaze from Eve to Jesus. I want to ask you, if you have never put your trust in Jesus, we've got to transfer, for us to enter into life, we have to transfer the trust from our own selves and our ability to live an eternal being, an eternal life. We have to transfer the trust in ourselves and we have to give that over to Jesus. And maybe you're standing here and you've never put your trust in Jesus. I want to tell you this. I've known Jesus for, I don't know, over 30 years. I don't know everything. I'm still getting to know him. I've got calluses on my hands and I feel like sometimes I'm not intimate with him. I, that's all real. What I do know is that he's good. I do know that he is the way to finding righteousness. I do know that he is the one that forgives. And so... There are many in this room who have put their trust in Jesus. And I would ask, maybe if you haven't done that, but today you would like to do it, if you wouldn't mind just raising your hand. Thank you, sir. Jesus, we thank you. 
We thank you that you are the one that forgives. We thank you. We thank you that in you we have life and have it to the full. And whether for the hundredth time or the first time, we thank you that we can walk into life because you are good. I want to ask this. Maybe there are some here who would say, Rich, I want to walk into the fullness of life. I identify with the question you asked at the beginning. But it requires that we would arise and go. It would require us leaving some of our native land behind. Maybe we're stuck because we don't know how to take a step forward. I trust I've helped you with that. Maybe we're stuck because we like the land we live in. May the Spirit of God come and set you free from that so that you can walk into more. But this is what it requires. It requires us understanding that we live in an age where the Spirit of God has been poured out for us. And we have to surrender to His leading. And I know that there are many in this room that have surrendered to Him. But can we do it again today? I like to raise my hands just as a show of vulnerability. If you are comfortable to do that, that will be great. You don't have to. But uh, just as a sign of vulnerability, Spirit of God, we thank you. We thank you that you have not withheld yourself from us. We thank you that because of the work of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus on earth, we are able to live a life that does not sin. Help us to know that. Help us to remember that as we give ourselves to you. And would we pass your tests as you reveal the desires of our hearts. And would you transform us, Spirit of God, in the name of Jesus. Amen.